Executive functioning is so much more than keeping your locker organized or remembering to turn in your homework and stuffing all the things in your backpack. That's exactly why I brought Mike McLeod from Grown Out Therapy to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher, and Mike, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Ah, oh, this is going to be exciting. I'm so uh, pumped to jump into this conversation and give people new perspective on executive functioning. But before we get started, tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table? Wow. So I have been to many IEP tables, uh, a lot of IEP Zooms, a lot of IEP tables. Uh, so I first started uh, joining IEP meetings as your typical speech and language pathologist, working with a lot of students with speech and language needs a lot of apraxia, a lot of autism, things like that. So uh, you know, working with students in a school, so I've worked in schools, so I've been the school speech and language pathologist. And more recently, I've been the private practice, quote unquote, specialist, uh, speech and language pathologist specializing in executive functioning. So now more times than not, when I'm joining an IEP, it's to advocate for a private family I'm working with, uh, a private student I'm working with, and to sort of, you know, work with the team, collaborate with the team, the school-based team, on executive functioning and how to improve the IEP and to improve the services for the student based on their executive functioning needs. I love that so much. So I am not an executive functioning expert, but I know enough to know when we need an expert. And that's what I always teach my master IEP coaches. I said, you don't have to know everything, but you have to figure out what you don't know and go find the best of the best. So when I'm Correct. sitting at an IEP table and I have a, you know, a child who's struggling in this executive functioning area, or at least the team's calling it executive functioning, I'm not really sure if it always is, quite honestly. And I'm always saying like, okay, so who's the guru at the school team? Who's the person that we're going to turn to? And a lot of times that's going to be, well, this teacher has some experience or this OT has some experience because maybe it's a sensory issue or maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And a lot of people are guessing. And I've heard you speak a little bit on executive function. I was like, yes, bring it. So you have a perspective <laughs> on kind of how all this comes together. So let's define what are you considering when you say executive functioning, what are you talking about? Yeah. So, so first of all, I love how you phrased that because of course, I refer to myself as an executive functioning specialist or a speech and language pathologist specializing in executive functioning, but I also don't know everything. And quite frankly, nobody knows everything about executive functioning. I don't care if you're Dr. Russell Barkley, if you're George McCloskey, there is still so much to learn about executive functioning and so much incredible research that's happening right now connecting executive functioning to ADHD uh, and what are executive functions and just how crucial these skills are. Uh, they really are incredibly misunderstood uh, because in the past, we really took an external view of executive functioning. So this is why we have these labels of hyperactivity, inattentiveness, kids who can't sit still, kids who can't focus, kids who daydream, kids with the messy backpacks, the messy lockers, the messy rooms, uh, kids who are just, uh, just that, that can't focus, that are just all over the place and super hyper and they need all of this sensory needs and all, and all of these things, which most often is true, of course, but really always looking externally. And more recently now, we know that executive functioning is really internal skills that are lacking. So we're moving away from the external view 
of kids who are hyper, kids who can't focus, kids who can't sit still, uh, kids who are disorganized, kids who are disinterested, kids who are lazy. So now we're moving more towards the internal view. So number one is self-regulation. So this is the core skill of executive functioning that is significantly delayed in kids with executive functioning developmental delay or ADHD, which is the main area I specialize in. So number one is self-regulation and the ability to regulate your emotions, your language, your body, your behavior in various environments towards various stimuli, most notably challenging stimuli, new stimuli, anything outside of that small and narrow ADHD comfort zone. So the ability to remain regulated and be resilient in the face of challenge and to uh, not let your emotions get the best of you. Uh, you know, a, a major part of the brain differences in ADHD and executive functioning within that frontal lobe is the emotional center of the brain and the amygdala and all of these areas of the brain that have to do with emotional control. So self-regulation and the ability to regulate, and this is why you hear so many things about uh, all these other diagnostics that are being uh, oppositional defiance disorder and rejection sensitive dysphoria. You know, we've really gotten into the habit now of really putting a diagnostic label on every symptom, but you really look at it, it's really all self-regulation and the ability to regulate in the face of stress, in the face of challenge. So self-regulation is number one. Number two is self-motivation. And when it comes to self-motivation, it's all about non-preferred tasks. And that's the number one thing as I say to parents and they'll say, yep, yep, that's my kid, non-preferred tasks. And that's really what it is. It's the ability to initiate, persist and complete non-preferred tasks outside of their comfort zone. Because I've chatted with parents before and I'll say self-motivation is an issue with executive functioning. And they'll say, oh no, he can play Minecraft for hours. He can be on his phone for hours on YouTube. Of course, if it's gonna give instant gratification and it's within their small comfort zone, yes. But can they you know, complete a reading assignment? Can they complete a writing assignment? Can they do a social task outside of their comfort zone, outside of their home? Do they have social relationships outside of Discord and Snapchat and uh, all, all the different online interfaces now? And are, are all their friends online video game friends? Uh, how are they able to self-motivate towards new, different and challenging things? I love and that then, one so much. Yep. So I tell parents all the time um, that, that we need to consider breaking down the IEP sometimes into preferred activities and non-preferred activities because like following two-step directions. Well, it's like, go get the iPad, sit on the couch and, and, wa and you know, watch a show. Two-step direction, done, got it. You know, go brush your teeth and go to bed. No, my child doesn't follow direction. You know, we, if we start to separate preferred versus non-preferred, it, we can see so many opportunities for learning and for getting through, but I would never um, put that uh, before talking to you into executive functioning kind of realm of consideration. So uh, I want all of our teachers and our parents who are listening saying, okay, yeah, I know preferred versus non-preferred. Yes, but keep listening because he's putting in the perspective of this executive functioning. So, okay. So that was two. I think we've got a third one, right? The third is self-evaluation. So this is the ability to learn from past experiences and apply it to the present. So you'll see a lot of students, a lot of children with executive functioning delays or ADHD repeat the same mistake over and over and over, whether it's the morning routine and getting to the bus on time, or whether it's turning in assignments 
you know, time after time, there's a long list of missing assignments or they're, they're, miss, they're constantly missing the same social cue or perspective taking, whatever it may be. So it's the inability to re-image the relevant past, apply it to the present and use it, use that information from a past experience in the present moment. So you can self-evaluate and learn from past experiences. So these three core skills of self-regulation, self-motivation and self-evaluation are really founded upon what I refer to as internal language. So the internal language is really a super connected to executive functioning. And internal language is both nonverbal working memory, which is the most important of all executive function skills, and verbal working memory. Nonverbal working memory is the visual imagery system of the brain, the ability to hold an image in mind, manipulate it, create mental movies, which involves both re-imaging the relevant past and also forecasting yourself into the future so you can plan, prioritize, and problem solve. So kids with executive functioning, part of the reason why they're so hyperactive, part of the reason why they're so inattentive is because they're stuck in the present moment. They're not learning from the past and they're not thinking about what's coming next, which creates a disconnect in something called causational thinking, which is if then cause and effect thinking. So are they able to think, okay, if this is what today looks like, then I need to do this later. So if tomorrow looks like this, then I need to do this now. Uh, so if then cause and effect thinking is a major disconnect in the executive functioning brain, which causes a lot of external symptoms. And then verbal working memory is the ability to have an internal dialogue, an internal conversation. So what we now know is that kids with executive functioning delays and ADHD really don't talk to themselves as much as you or I may. So the ability to have a con an internal dialogue and turn skills externally to internally and talk to your brain so you can cope and self-soothe and self-regulate and you can you know, motivate yourself uh, and you know, plan. Like before you even get out of bed in the morning, you think, okay, I need to brush my teeth, get dressed, put my, my books in my backpack, pack my lunch, and then I could get out the door by nine and then get to the bus by 9.20. So it's, 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 all some, it's all things we do in our brains very quickly, but kids with executive delays don't really have that internal dialogue. They may talk to themselves about their favorite YouTube video or their favorite video game, but it's not positive, motivating, and productive. So the ability to visualize to yourself and verbalize to yourself is su a super critical skill that really needs to be taught and really needs to be practiced for kids with executive functioning delays. All right, so I got a couple of questions here. I'm like, I, like the nerdy side of my brain is like really hyperactive right now. It's like, yes, like I wanna know all the things. So we, you're talking about ADHD and you're talking about this self-talk and those kind of things. How does anxiety fit into that? I'm seeing a lot of parents and teachers that are talking about anxiety and this kind of getting stuck in a loop in a different way, or they're in a routine and now they don't want to change their routine. And, and does executive functioning, this inner talk fall into that concern also of anxiety? Yes. So uh, I would say the vast majority of my students with ADHD, executive delays, uh, you can, of course, have executive delays and not have ADHD, uh, have anxiety as well. It's, it's one of those things that sort of comes up. So let's think about this. I was describing executive functioning, and these kids are really stuck in the present moment. It's hard for them to learn from the past, and it's hard for them to anticipate what's coming next. 
So they're stuck in the present moment and they're not learning from past experiences. So they're repeating the same mistake over and over and over and over. And there's data out there for kids with executive delays, ADHD, all of the uh, negative feedback that are constantly getting throughout the day. So they, they really start to internalize a lot of their negative experiences and they start to develop a little bit of a negative self-image and negative self-talk because it's hard for them to really improve and mature at the same pace as many of their peers. So they're going through the same mistakes, the same experiences over and over and over again, unsuccessfully. And they're constantly getting negative feedback from parents, from teachers, from grades, and from peers. Uh, so anxiety comes about because of the inability to, number one, to have positive self-directed talk, and number two, to be able to visualize and visualize yourself being successful in the future at non-preferred and challenging tasks. So when you can't visualize yourself being successful and you can't talk to your brain to coach yourself to be successful, you're going to replace that with a lot of negative self-talk and you're going to internalize your negative experiences. So there's anxiety, there's negative self-talk, there's a lack of regulation. Uh, there's a lot of things at play. Uh, and you know, there's the social side of executive functioning, the home side of executive functioning. Uh, there's a lot of things at play that really feed into this anxiety and negative feedback loop. Okay. I love that. Thank you. That helps put some things in perspective. I know for some of our, our listeners, when it comes to, it's not just ADHD, there's this anxiety, social, emotional side of things. Now mm -hmm. we have a lot of our parents and teachers that are listening are working with children, students who have a lower verbal skill level than their chronological age, right? So we're talking, you know, maybe we have first grade language skills and it's a third, fourth, fifth grader, and there's this big gap. So we're talking self-talk and we're talking, um, getting through these things. And, and I've seen the error a lot of times as we're trying to use problem solving that's age appropriate versus what might be more appropriate developmentally or where the child's at. And I feel like that's a gap that I want you to address of where do you start? So I've got this sixth grader that's struggling with all the things that you just mentioned, whether it's social or it's, it's turning things in and it's, you know, I can, I can visually look at this kid from the outside and say, okay, he's not doing these things that you're talking about those three steps, but his language is years behind where his peers are at. Where, where does a team start at figuring out how do we help this child, you know, problem solve? Yep. So that is, that is a great question. Uh, and the most important thing is to not just add 10, 15 language goals into this IEP. You really want this to be functional. So you have the child's actual age, and you also have to be aware of the child's executive age, which can tend to be around three years behind the actual age if there's a lack of development in executive functioning. So you can have, you know, a third, fourth grader who's really at the maturation age of a first grader. And you really lean towards where that executive age is and increase in challenge and increase in age appropriateness as you see some success and some progress. So it's super important to have a language foundation. So one of the best ways to think about executive functioning is it is a behavior, it is an action taken towards the self. So it's an external skill turned inward. So the best way to think about executive functioning is when you're younger, you are constantly dependent on the world around you. You need prompts, you need scaffolds, you need adults, you need you know, 
uh, graphic organizers, you need everything in the outside world to help you. And as you strengthen executive functioning, you need less external help and you're able to deal with it more internally and more independently. So if you have a child with significant language delays, yes, you are also going to see some delays in executive functioning as well, because language is super important to visualize and verbalize. So this child really is going to need one or two language-based goals, but it's super important that it's functional and tailored towards that individual. You don't want this language to be uh, oh, certain morphological endings or uh, synonyms and antonyms or labeling or categorizing. You know, I'm like, I've seen keep going, keep going. Because yeah. everybody just went, oh, shoot. Then what yep. do I put in the IEP? Because it, we have all of those. Like we're talking synonyms and we're talking, you know, yeah. putting the proper ending on because we want them to be like, close the gap with their peers. And like you just said, no, take them out. So nope. we do nope. this all the time. I'm always like, take out the IEP goals that are not going to have the biggest benefit. We have to prioritize. So give me a couple of examples of what you might replace. Yep. So those spaces. yes. So, so I, I totally agree with you. I have seen far too many IEPs that are inappropriate in terms of language. So if you have a student with some language delays, uh, you know, you're going to want them to be able to tell a fluent story. You're going to want them to uh, be able to initiate and maintain social interactions and have a positive social interaction. So really, you know, at this young age, social is the most important thing. And you want them to be able to use language to self-advocate for themselves, to participate in class, and to initiate and maintain relationships. So the best way this goal should be measured, not by the types of endings, not by the labeling, not by the synonyms or antonyms, it needs to be by informal observation. So the speech and language pathologist or the teacher needs to be observing this student, uh, whether it's in the cafeteria or recess or a free period, interacting with their peers and how are they using language to self-regulate and to initiate and maintain social interactions? How are they using language in the natural environment? Not in testing, not with paper and pen, not with any of those things. This isn't a literacy-based goal. It's a language-based executive functioning goal. So how are they using language in the natural environment in a functional and productive way that's going to help them be successful beyond this IEP? So that's the most important thing. So observation-wise, are they using language to interact? Can they tell a fluent story when prompted? Can they be given a visual and then tell a story based on the picture prompt? Uh, can they uh, self-advocate in class? Are they participating appropriately in class? Uh, can they, uh, you know, uh, tell a story, an actual story that happened to them in the past? Can they re-image the relevant past, take some time to visualize, and then tell a story about what happened the day before, the week before, those sorts of things. So the, so the type of skills that are functional to real life, not these academic-based, common core-based skills. <laughs> and for everybody who just caught that, like you said, there's, there's some fire behind that. I, That's I can, right. That's I right. I've seen way that. too many. I've seen way too many copy and paste IEPs in my day that do <laughs> not help. Time we say no more cookie cutter IEPs, like stop it. Like we can have a much more meaningful IEP with three to five good goals than we'll ever have with a cut and paste of, of 10 common core goals. Um, all right. And I want to just point out here too, that you mentioned 
informal observations. And I, I know that some like red flags went up in some, they're like, no, but we need concrete data, informal mm -hmm. observations. I just want to point out to everybody that doesn't mean like lazy data taking a good informal observation has an extreme amount of data put into this. It's almost like you're journaling down details that you would never get if you just had a, a choice question given, correct? Absolutely. We have gotten, you know, this whole IEP system, you know, we it sort of just was created and we were thrust right into it. But many issues with, you know, whether it's no child left behind, race to the top, this whole IEP system, IDEA, it's not a perfect system. Okay. So our obsession with testing, 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 numbers, standard deviations, age equivalents, I'm not a fan of it at all. We need to be able to use our clinical expertise, whether you are a special education teacher, a speech and language pathologist, OT, PT, whatever, you are a clinic, you are a clinician, you are a professional, and you being able to observe a child and uh, and kind of notice some red flags, work on it, and then see them using it in the natural environment. That's the most important thing. The whole at the end of the day. The whole goal of having an IEP is to no longer need the IEP. You know, so many, so many parents and so many uh, individuals like uh, use the IEP as this safety net and like, oh, he needs to have his IEP. He needs to have his IEP. Uh, and then some kids that we know who need an IEP don't qualify for it because of these ridiculous standards and, you know, qualifications and, the, and those sorts of things. So it's a double-edged sword kind of, kind of issue. Uh, but overall, uh, the whole goal of having an IEP is to make sure that this student is attaining skills and using them away from the clinician, away from the classroom, and progress is seen in unstructured environments of the home, in the classroom, and in social situations. I've seen too many kids be thrust into these ineffective social groups, and then they're on the playground, and they're by themselves, or they're having negative interactions. And they've been in social skills groups for years because they're so structured. Uh, so having an IEP and all of this obsession with data, all of this obsession with testing, as long as the child is, is uh, practicing what is taught within the session in the natural environment and is gaining the skills and using it naturally and they're self-cueing and they're improving, even as something as simple as articulation, are they showing an improvement in the articulation on the playground and in the cafeteria? Great. That's what we want. You know, we don't want him to just be able to get a standard score on, you know, the articulation test. We want him to be able to show improvements when he's talking to peers. So informal observations, you really think about it, are the most important because it's showing, is this student using the learned skills in the natural environment? So uh, the ability to add that into an IEP, I recommend that parents find creative ways to add observations, whether it's articulation, language, social, executive functioning. This child really needs to be observed in unstructured environments to really see, are they regulating? Are they uh, talking to themselves? Are they visualizing? Are they stopping and processing the information? Or are they sort of all over the place? Uh, and you're not going to learn that from a test. Right. And, and parents, I want you to hear that. Like, this is where, when you're sitting at the playground, and I'm just going to, I'm going to just say it like it is, and you're sad. You are sad as a parent because your child is not going, you know, onto the equipment, playing with others, initiating play and all that. You can do a log of observations too. write it down. What is your child saying? What are they trying to do? What, how are they trying to attempt? How are they, they um, 
working towards trying to get with the other children, or maybe they're not and just journal what they are doing. What are they interested in? Where are they at? Your log of observations as a parent is just as, if not more important than the logs that the, that the practitioners are taking. And you can take those together and, you know, it's like a movie script and you kind of put it all together and say like, okay, what does this really look like in the real world? Um, as everybody knows, we, we function on the, on the purpose of ideal law. So our master IP coaches and our inner circle podcast here, we say the entire purpose of an IP, I shouldn't say we say, the law says, uh, it's to prepare a child for further education, employment, independent living. So whether you're working towards becoming independent without the IEP, as Mike said, or you know what, some of you probably said like, oh, in your head, you're like, yeah, my child's always going to have an IP. Okay, but we're not always going to have the same goals. Think of it that way too. Stop thinking of the IEP as where you go from step one to step two to step three. Sometimes we can skip some steps and get mm-hmm. into what works in the real world and get out of what other people are trying to say is important for a child, that you get to work together to figure out what is that functional application. Mike, I feel like we could talk forever about this. We're going to actually <laughs> leave everybody in this conversation in this hot topic of like, no, I want to know more of that. Um, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Mike after this and see uh, when we can schedule him to become a guest speaker inside of the special education um, inner circle. That's our our membership where we have these VIP conversations. You can dig in deep. You can talk to Mike and um, really get some more insight on what you can do next. In the meantime, I want you to know that you can reach Mike. He has a, tell us your website. And then before everybody says, oh my gosh, does he live by me? Like, is his practice near me? He has virtual options too. So Mike, tell us a little bit about your practice and how people can connect with you. Yeah, so my website is grownowtherapy.com. Definitely check it out. You can fill out a form on the website. It gets sent directly to me. Uh, You can email me at mike at grownowtherapy.com. My Instagram is at grownowtherapy. You can follow me and shoot me a message. I would love to hear from all the parents and all the professionals who have heard this podcast. I love interacting with all you people. Uh, So yeah, definitely, definitely reach out. Uh, I, I always love, you know, one thing I do love about IEPs is the I, the focus on the individual. So uh, the ability to get to know the individual families, the individual students, definitely reach out to me. Uh, you'll speak to me directly. Uh, so I would love to uh, you know, shoot me an email, shoot me a message, and we can connect. I love that. You guys, if this has given you some new perspective on what executive functioning might mean for your students or for your child, I really do want you to reach out to Mike. This is a whole new kind of thought process of how to approach this in the school system and with the heaviness that we have felt in our education system over the last few years and the continuation of trying to figure out what to do next. This perspective of executive functioning is going to be so important for our students to have the skills that they need to be independent, not just in the school, but also out in their community and ongoing. So Mike, again, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. This this is great. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, all the great work that you're doing and uh, the, uh, IEPs, uh, working with IEPs and working with families. I think you're de- you're definitely doing a great job and providing a great service. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Everyone, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.